Hey there, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow Weston, and I'm the director of Clyde and the host of this podcast. If you are hopping on for the first time, I'm so glad that you're hanging out with me today. And I get to hand you an interview I just had with Miss Tara Sun. She is uh, the new released author of the book called Surrender Your Story, Ditch the Myth of Control and Discover Freedom in Trusting God. And she had so much to share, not only about her own story, but just a challenge to us to let go and no longer be self-sufficient and to become more interdependent on the Lord. And so I think this conversation will challenge you, but also free you and invite you into something deeper and something better. So check it out. Tara, it's so fun to hang out with you today. You're coming at us from Oregon, and I love that you're in the Pacific Northwest. I just interviewed someone yesterday from Atlanta, so I feel like we're like Pacific Northwest sisters or something. (laughs) We totally are, Willow. It's really fun to be here, and I like that we're in the same time zone. So like, we can just hang out like in real time, it feels like. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's it's awesome. There's so many things I want to ask you before we get into the ministry that God is unleashing in your life, your new book, all these things. I obviously stalked you so I could try uh, to ask you some good questions. And I love that you married your high school sweetheart. Yeah, you know, it's funny because from where I live, at least we're in a small town. And so I feel like some cities have like a, like more of a norm than others. So I didn't think it was that bizarre that I married my high school sweetheart. But as I've gotten older, people are like, you know, like that's not always the case. And it's pretty rare. And it's pretty sweet. Michael and I started dating when we were 17, almost seniors in high school. So like end of junior year, almost seniors. And we got engaged when we were 21. So we dated for a long time which I, was hard, but obviously we were young. Um, but it's been pretty cool to grow up with him. Like I have been with him for seven, seven years, almost eight years. It's crazy. Yeah. So I have to know, like, what was the first moment that you set eyes on him? Was it in chemistry class? Was it like in gym? <laughs> what was that yeah. moment? So actually, when we first met, my cousin actually introduced us. Uh, He was like, "Uh, yeah, this guy is coming over from my school, but he's transferring schools. Like, you should just be friends with him. And I didn't really think much of it. We had a big high school, too. Um, And so I remember just seeing him at, I think it was in the cafeteria, honestly. I'm like, hey, like, you're Michael, right? And um, that was really all that it was because we didn't have classes together until junior year. Um, Mm. And then he was dating someone else. And then I wasn't dating Uh anyone. Uh Uh-oh, right? Um, (laughs) So it was a little bit of that and then reconnected and had like three classes together when we were juniors. And then after he broke up with his girlfriend, I was like, I'm swearing off dating. And then we started dating. (laughs) So that's what I can recall, at least. That's adorable. And you guys just recently had Hunter. How's that yes. changed your lives? Oh, in every way. Yeah. Absolutely every way. I mean, the best, um, the hardest, but the most rewarding. Um, Hunter is such a good little guy. He is such a sweet baby. He just turned one a couple weeks ago. And he is wild and free and energetic and hilarious. And it's just so fun. We, um, we got pregnant a lot earlier than we planned which I feel like is a story of my life. Like just nothing ever goes according to my plan, which is what we're going to talk about. Um, but he was just the blessing that I never expected. And motherhood is so fun. 
And it's also just a blessing to be able to do what I do um, while also being with him so much. I know a lot of people don't get that. So, yeah, it's crazy because you just became a mom. You just released a book. I want to talk to you about your book and all the things that you're uh, sharing in it. So you you just kind of hinted at things don't always go as you have them planned. I mean, what's it been like to have a mom and release this new book? That's That's a lot. Yes, it's so much. And you want to hear a funny story? So um, I, from start to finish, really, it's almost been it, like in a couple of weeks, it'll be two years since the whole process of even thinking about a book started. And it's ironic because it started a month after we got married. And then the book actually released into the world two weeks ago on Hunter's first birthday. So a lot of life happened um, <laughs> all in yeah. that. I actually even turned in my first draft of my manuscript six days before Hunter was born. So I pushed a book baby out and then I pushed a baby baby out. Like <laughs> that's what my agent what tells me. Harder? What was harder? Oh, oh my gosh. I don't think I can tell you which was harder. <laughs> Uh, they were different, obviously in their own ways, hard and in their own ways. But yeah, basically it was a really wild time because it, the whole process of writing a book was something that I always had in my heart, but I kind of forgot about. And then when I started getting into more social media and ministry online, the Lord started opening doors and I just, I never wanted to pursue it because it felt like such a big thing that I obviously could do on my own. And it's really Mm -hmm. cool how the Lord opened the doors. Um, He opened it before we got married um, and then started, you know, really going full force at it when we got married. And then that pregnancy surprised throughout it and being like, Lord, you still want me to do this. Thankfully, he sustained me. I had like incredible energy during my pregnancy. And um, it's been really interesting, the timing of it all. But um, he's taught me a lot about motherhood through writing a book. He's taught me a lot about, you know, writing through having a baby and ministry through having a baby. Like there's just so much. And I think it was a perfect time, although it was Mm. insane. (laughs) That's awesome. So tell us the name of the book, what it's about and why you're so passionate about handing it over to people. Yes. I'm so excited. I could just talk about this all the time, which I have been. (laughs) Um, My book is called Surrender Your Story. And the subtitle is Ditch the Myth of Control and Discover Freedom in Trusting God. Um, So if you hear that subtitle, you might be thinking, okay, this is for the type A, which it is for the type A. I'm very much, I will admit that I am a control freak. I'm a recovering control freak. um, And I've always had just this death grip on my life. And I have over the years realized how I didn't actually trust God with my life, that um, a lot of things went my way until they didn't. And I was faced with the choice whether I was going to trust myself or I was going to trust God when things changed. And so through circumstances like having a chronic illness diagnosis when I was 14, dropping out of college, um, all these surprises along the way that marked my story, I started to realize that it's not a bad thing to plan your life and have dreams for your life. But what I was doing was I was taking my life and my dreams and my plans, and I was holding on to them so tightly that when God had something different, I didn't want to let go. I wasn't willing to trust him. I became bitter and angry at God for my life not turning out the way I thought. And so through discovering God's word and his truth, um, I realized that the way of the Christian is not holding on to control when you accept Christ and you follow him, you're called to lay down your life and surrender. And that's what it means to, you know, take up your cross every day, deny yourself and follow Jesus in Luke nine. And so through all those circumstances, I learned that and I'm passionate about it most of all, because 
I don't believe it's just a type A control freak problem. I believe it's an every person problem. We all have something or multiple things that we are not willing to let God into that we have a hard time trusting him with because we think we know better. And this is not to say like none of us are smart or gifted or talented, but I think we just need to release ourselves from the pressure and the burden of being in control and having it all together because we weren't created to do that. And there's actually freedom found in that. Mm, I have so many things I want to ask you. You talk about being a recovering control freak. I like that because the word recovering means there's hope that there's another way, another way to live, right? I'm just kind of curious for those of us who hear you describe yourself as a recovering control freak. What are some indicators that we might be a control freak? Like, what are some signs like, oh, hey, I might have a control problem going on in my life? Yes. Okay. I love that you asked this because I have been thinking about this more often because I think some of us can just write it off and say, oh, I don't have a problem with control or, oh, I'm super go with the flow. Or even we just don't want to admit to ourselves that we have a control problem. But there are a few things that I found in my life and other people's lives that may indicate that we have a control problem. And one of the first things is that we 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 i mean i just i got to say it we have a hard time resting and we have a hard time um relying on other people for help okay mm-hmm. so i am not good at resting i am not good at boundaries i am not good at all of these things i'm trying but we got to think about it this way if we're not willing to rest if we're not willing to accept help if we're not willing to come to terms that we are human and that we need help in general and not only just from god we have a control problem because when we rest or when we don't rest and when we hustle, when we strive, it's because we believe that everything is up to us. And we believe that we have the strength apart from God to do what we want instead of slowing down at his pace and following him. So that's one thing. If you have a hard time resting, if you believe that you can do it all without any help, you're laughing. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe you can relate, right? Okay. And then another control problem is that it's just really difficult for you to accept that God may have something different for your life, that you have mapped out your entire life. And then something happens that was not a part of your life. And then what happens is you turn and you start getting bitter towards God you start to distrust him, you start to lose your faith. Those are all signs, which I know are inevitable human signs. We all go through them. I'm not saying that like you're condemned for it. But what I am saying is that like our response to how life plays out is a big indicator whether we trust God or not and whether we have a control problem or not. Because I remember instantly when things didn't go my way, becoming bitter and just angry at God and distrusting him. And that just showed a lack of trust in God and that I wanted to be in control because I believed I knew better, right? And then another control problem is basically just not being willing to wait, being impatient, having a heart that wants to race ahead of God and wants to, you know, create results on our own instead of, again, slowing down at God's pace and just resting and being willing to listen and yield to what he has to say. So those are a few things Mm. that I've seen in my life and um, we see in scripture too. So good. You, you talk about this myth we have about control. What do you think the myth is that we believe that if we have control, what? Oh yeah, that's great. No, I love that question. I love how you phrased that. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, but I personally believe, I think there's a few things, but I think it comes down to, if I have control, then I'm going to find the, the purpose and fulfillment in my life that I want, because I think that's what we're all searching for, right? Like we're all searching for meaning. 
We're all searching to have holes and voids filled in our life. We're all searching, um, yeah, for fulfillment in areas of our lives. And so I think control also was born from a heart that believes that we know best and that our plans are perfect for ourselves. And so I can control that to get the results in life that I want instead of actually being like, okay, God's in control and he's the only one who can bring about those results in my life. But I think control is really just a search for meaning and purpose and and freedom, really. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking too, as you were talking, I agree with all those reasons. I also think I, I was just resonating with what, thinking, why do I try to control things. And I think it comes from a place of wanting to seek safety, like a feeling of safety. And a lot of our um, need to control things can also be birthed from wounds we've experienced in the past. Like I think about me as a kid where I had an alcoholic mother. So I knew every Monday, because it was her day off, that after school, I was going to come home to not good stuff. It was going to be scary or it was going to be ugly or it was going to be disturbing or whatever it was going to be. And so I had to like plan things out. So I had to try to control things like on prom. I literally got an adult babysitter for my mom. She didn't know, but I worked it out with an adult to make sure my mom wouldn't drink. So she wouldn't embarrass me. Right. So you, you learn like from, from our circumstances, like if I can kind of orient things or manage things or manipulate things or control things, everything will maybe be okay. Mm-hmm. And then you do that because you're not safe, but then later you might be safe and you're still doing those things. You're still trying to control your atmosphere, your environment, the people around you, because you're searching for, for a sense of safety. It feels like there's just so many reasons why we control yeah. and, and want to feel like we're in control. Yeah. And I love how you said that it's a safety thing. It's like, well, if I'm not in control, then who's in control? Because it's my life. You know, it's like, you know, my name is written over Tara's life. So shouldn't I kind of be in the driver's seat? Like it's a test of the test of who we put our faith in really. Right. Let's rewind back to your story. You mentioned it, that you had chronic pain. You had a diagnosis as a teenager. Can you invite us back to that and how that's really shaped you and how you view God and control? Yeah, that was one of the biggest moments in my life where I realized I was not in control and it was freeing, but that kind of catapulted and started the journey of me figuring out the freedom and surrender. Because before that, my life was super easy. Um, Grades were really good. Friendships came easy, super athletic, danced until I was 18. Just like life was super easy. I'm not even going to lie. And then that happened. And I realized that everything was about to change. I had to remove myself from my first year of high school, which, you know, high school, like that first year is like, you're building friendships, you're going to football games. Like that's where you kind of start. Like if you don't have that start, a lot of times it's really hard to get going again. And because I had so much pain, I couldn't get out of bed uh, for about a year. I, my parents dragged me out of bed so I could go to physical therapy and Mm -hmm. occupational therapy. Um, and I yelled and screamed and kicked them because I didn't want to go. Um, I was just like so bitter. And because I thought my life was over because I'm like, well, high school's ruined. Um, am I ever going to have a relationship from this? Am I ever going to have a career if I can't get out of bed? So I started just really becoming bitter And God really brought me to a place of brokenness, which I think he does a lot where he reminded me that I'm actually called to be dependent on him 
And he was kind of breaking down the walls of self-sufficiency and pride that I had put up in my life, thinking that I was enough on my own. And through that, he started stripping away a lot of things and bringing circumstances into my life that reminded me that I'm not in control. And yet I find the most safety and purpose and direction when I just follow God's lead because man, was it not what I thought, but it was truly better than I thought. Um, But he did use a lot of that weakness in my life and that chronic illness to show me that I'm out of control, but that he's ultimately in control. Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. I, I want to ask you a lot more about that and the lessons you learned from it. But before we do, how long did that season last? Are you still suffering from chronic pain? Where are you at with that diagnosis? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So diagnosed at 14, that first year until I was 15 or just, you know, the first year, um, it was really, really difficult. That was the year that I was in bed, basically four or five days a week was drug out of bed to physical therapy. That year was really hard. And then through physical therapy and, you know, finding other interventions and things that worked medically, um, I was able to get back to school sophomore year, able to finish off my year. I was able to actually graduate with a pretty decent GPA, surprisingly, because I had missed so much school. And, um, so that was that. And then I would say the peak of that, of the pain was anywhere from like 14 to 18. And then just every year, um, just with more of an active lifestyle and more um, just medical things that we tried also, um, things got better and better. Um, I still do to this day struggle with it every once in a while. But I have to tell you something interesting. Um, when I got pregnant with Hunter, Um, My doctor said, he said, sometimes when someone has a chronic illness like fibromyalgia or an autoimmune something, your body changes so physiologically when you have a baby, your hormones change, everything changes that sometimes you can go into remission or have reprieve from your Mm -hmm. illness. Mm-hmm. And I actually had the most incredible pregnancy. I felt amazing. And then um, had Hunter and I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. I know it's the Lord. I don't know the timing of it with mm-hmm. being pregnant, but I still do every once in a while, maybe only a couple times a month though, compared to like every day. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. I'm I'm imagining there's people listening going, oh, maybe I should go get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, I'll make, literally that's what my dad said. He's like, <laughs> Tara, you just... Me. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you were in this, in this really hard place. You're young, you're a teenager. I mean, you have all these things that you want to participate in and do, and you feel terrible. And and you said you thought your life was over. I think yeah. it's so interesting how when we experience something hard in our life, 
or we get bad news, we go to this almost like hopeless place where we deem the story over. And and you couldn't for a second see the chapter you're in right now. You couldn't see beauty a few chapters down in the story. You could only see in that moment. And I think so often we all do that. We all are like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And we cannot fathom that something good could come on the other side of this. And then I think about Hebrews 11 and how the Bible talks about faith and being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Not sure of what sucks and certain of what we do see. Yeah. But actually like taking in, it doesn't mean that we don't grieve or we don't say it's hard or we pretend it's easy, but also like we don't deem the story over. And I love that God knew all along, like your story's not over lady. It's honestly, and that was really, I mean, I know I was living life before that and God had obviously a sovereign hand in that, but like, really, that's where I believe a lot kind of catapulted. And a lot of my story started in a way because I, finally had a grasp on what it meant to surrender and what I was missing out on what it really meant to be a disciple. And so I literally was just writing that for an article today that like your diagnosis or your struggle is not the end of your story. It's actually the beginning a lot of times. You talked about how God was breaking down the walls of self-sufficiency through all of this. What does that mean, self-sufficiency? Like what are some some indicators someone might be being, being self-sufficient and they don't even know it? Yeah. You know, self-sufficient, we hear that, I don't know, you know, mainstream news, we read it in a book and it's another way to say independent, which okay, My parents raised me to be independent in ways like, you know, get a job. Uh, My mom was like, you should grow up and be able to do your own ballet bun for class. Like, you know, drive a car, like all these independent things, you know, do your laundry, things like that. Um, So that's not the independence I'm talking about. When we say independent or self-sufficient, we're talking about this idea that we are enough or we are strong enough or we are autonomous, meaning I'm over here, I'm an island apart from God. So basically self-sufficiency is this lie from the enemy that we are enough and we are powerful on our own within our own strengths and abilities. So again, I'm not saying to be all self-deprecating and tell yourself that you're horrible, but I am saying as a Christian, we know the reality that we are from God for from him to him and through him are all things. Romans 11, 36, literally who we are is because of him. And so we can't operate outside of him. But when we operate outside of him in self-sufficiency, that shows a control problem because we believe, okay, I'm enough. I got it. I'm smart enough. I can play in my life enough. I don't need God's help. I'm an island over here. I'm autonomous. You know, I'm good. Um, when actually God calls us to be dependent disciples, dependent people that realize that we can't do it outside of God's strength, nor do we need to. And that the best results and the best fruit um, come from depending deeper and not trying to strive and be enough on our own apart from Him. Mm, depending deeper. I love that. I also love that you kind of gave an asterisk to to this definition of dependence versus independence. Because I think some people live in the camp of, you know, if God wants it to happen in my life, it'll just happen. Whereas God gave us free will and and gave us gifts and and has given us opportunities and has empowered us to actually engage in our own life to to 
work. Like you said, your mom taught you to do laundry. Yeah. God has given you a voice and you're using it. Like we don't just sit around and go, oh, like I'm dependent on God and he has to do everything. And he's like a father going, no, like you actually have to do things. You have to work and give and serve and all the things. Yep. Um, but in him and through him and alongside him. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Deeper dependence. I like that phrase a lot. I think what's important to know, and you totally reminded me that of this when you were talking is that surrender. I need people to know is not passive. You know, we think of a movie that we watch or we have a mental picture. I think of it too, sometimes where it's like, I'm surrendering. I'm waving the white flag. Usually when that happens in a movie or something, we see that as defeat, like, oh, that's shameful that they gave up. That's shameful that they waved that white flag and they gave up and surrender. Um, but actually in Jesus's upside down kingdom, meaning Jesus came to, he actually confused a lot of people when he came to earth, when he (laughs) like preached and when he taught, but he actually was just fulfilling everything, making clear what was unclear. And the people that were confused hadn't really come to a true knowledge of him yet. But if we have a true knowledge of Jesus in the gospel, we will see that surrender is actually super active. It's basically laying down what we think is right for our lives and then taking up an active role of having faith and following what he has. So it's not sitting on our hands. It's not giving up and saying, well, I'm going to sit here on my couch and I'm just going to have God move me around like a puppet. Surrender Surrender is an act of faith. Surrender is following God's word actively and living actively and making the most you know, the most use of our time, but it's all in faith and it's all founded upon his word. So it's super active. So I just want to make sure people know that, you know, Mm -hmm. I love that. And I want to talk about surrender more because I think Christians often think they only have to surrender once. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think a life of active surrender looks like on a regular basis. Yeah, I think about this often because Luke 9, 23, like we talked about, you know, taking up our crosses, denying ourselves and following Jesus. That's what the book was based off of. It's an exploration of that verse and that lifestyle. Um, But we notice how Jesus said daily. He told his disciples daily, you need to take up your cross, meaning you have to count the cost. Is it worth it? Is the inevitable sufferings worth it to you? Like if that, when that happens, if that happens, are you still going to follow me and trust me? And then number two, denying yourself. Basically, that literally means giving up personal control of your life and following Jesus. And so we have to think about what that looks like as far as just surrender. You know, often that's discouraging to believers because it's like, I'm so tired. Like, I don't want to do it again tomorrow. Um, But surrender is something that we have the power of the Holy Spirit coursing through our veins to help us do that. And I think actively and practically, surrender looks like still being diligent over your life, but having more of a, of a heart posture. Cause I believe that's where it comes from because we have to, honestly, I've been thinking about this, what we believe in our hearts translates into how we live. So if we believe that God is good and trustworthy and that he's better than, better than us to write our stories, then that's how we're going to live. Or at least that's how we're going to try to live. So surrender needs to start actively in our hearts and needs to start with a laying down of our lives and sacrifice. And then that will help us kind of loosen that death grip we have over our days. And I think often some people wonder, how am I supposed to actually surrender every day practically and actively and start that over again every day? And it's not that we just, again, like we were talking about, just throw our hands up and say, we're done, but to steward every day diligently, knowing that like, 
you have everything you need to live. God has given you the Bible and he's laid out everything you need and to be able to follow that actively. But then surrender looks like, what if something happens that's outside of your plan and outside of your control during your day, or that's not on your to-do list? How are you going to respond to that? Surrender really comes out in our response to what life throws at us. So it's just being able to have the open-handed posture of, let's say, today I wasn't able to get what I wanted done, or um, the laundry is still really piled up. And those things stress me out. They may not seem like big things, but they stress me out. And let's say my son was sick and I needed to take care of him instead of do that. I could respond in frustration and anger and all these things, but clearly God had my son to take care of, right? So I need to respond in a way that's like, okay, Lord, I trust you to get the other things done when you want in your timing. So I'm going to surrender my expectations because I feel like expectations um, can really harm us in the area of surrender. Mm, expectations. Oh, yes, they sure can. And mm-hmm. and often we don't want to surrender because we're mad at God because he hasn't fulfilled the expectations that we had. Right. Right. Well, and I love that you said that because I was thinking the other day, I had this anxious moment thinking about something and my husband literally told me, Tara, you need to let that go. And I literally, this is super, super honest. I literally said, no, I don't know what came over me. It was like the enemy or something. I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't want to, because I think we again, we're talking about security. I feel like we feel this false sense of security thinking that if I have anxieties and worries, then like I'm in, uh, I'm in control or it's like safe because it's, it's here. If I let it go, then what's going to happen to it. Um, but that's another thing about practical and active surrender is casting your cares on Jesus is casting your burdens on him because he cares for you. And if we're holding on to things, that's control. When God says actively, you need to cast them away, still live diligently and work hard and trust me and keep praying, but cast them off on me and keep living because, you know, I got it under control. Hmm. I love this, this idea that you talk about, about casting your cares. And I'm curious if you can give some practical ways that women can do that, because that can sound really cute, but some women could be like, I don't even know what that looks like. Right. How do you cast your cares on God? What does that actually practically look like? Actually, practically what that looks like for me is just say, for instance, I have this anxiety lately of traveling. We're doing a long road trip with our son. Okay. And I've never done one so long with such a young child. I mean, he's my first baby, but like, I am super anxious about it. And I have been daily trying to cast it over to the Lord. And what that looks like is when I think about it, I, it takes a lot of willpower to the Holy Spirit, which I want you to know you have, you have that power in the Holy Spirit to help you do that. But it takes me in that moment literally stopping what I'm doing if I have to, because I'm such a distracted and busy person, stopping in what I'm doing and saying, okay, Lord, like I'm acknowledging the anxiety. And then I pray and I ask him to take it away from me. And even if I have to do that, like a hundred times throughout the day, that's still casting. It's still recasting. It's just a, it's just a way for me to stop practically and acknowledge Mm -hmm. that I'm actually dwelling on it and acknowledging that it's actually burdening me down and then praying it away. And if I have to do it again, I pray it away again, because Lord knows that we are people that go back to things that we shouldn't sometimes. And I know I go back to that anxiety, but practically taking that thought captive, like God's word says, taking, stopping it in its tracks and saying, okay, Lord, I'm anxious about this road trip, but I got to remind myself of your promises. Okay. Let me think of some verses I memorized. Let me think of some truths about who you are. I'm anxious, but you're the Prince of peace. Like I'm feeling this way, but this. So preaching truth also over your soul, keeping memory verses. I think sometimes we're afraid of like, 
we're not afraid. Just we think, oh, well, what's memorizing verses going to do for me? Even if you don't believe that truth in the moment, even if I don't believe in my heart that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, like I'm so anxious, I still repeat that over my heart because my heart needs to be told what to believe because that's the truth no matter if I feel it or not. And the more I do it, the more repetitively I do that, the more my heart is going to be like, okay, okay, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And God's word gives you comfort and covering and protection. So I think just those two practical things have really helped me just stopping and then just reminding myself of truth. Love it. I preach to myself all the time. I think people think I'm talking to myself in my car, but I am <laughs> preaching to myself. You, you got brought it. up Luke 9, 23 and the idea of picking up our cross and denying ourselves. And I'm, I'm kind of curious. Sometimes when people hear that invitation, they're they're hearing that through the lens of their own experience, having maybe been a sibling to uh, a, a brother or sister who was favored and they were kind of ignored or they've experienced abuse or neglect or some sort of power dominance where a spouse, um, you know, they had no opinion, no voice, and and their spouse determined, you know, what color the car was going to be, what house they're going to buy, what they're doing with all their money, and they had to do whatever their spouse told them to do. So there's some hangups around deny yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell us why you see Jesus's invitation as beautiful and different than those experiences that people have had where they've been made to deny themselves. Yeah. That's really good. I love that perspective. First of all, I'd tell you that God is not those people that hurt you and that God is perfect and he's loving and he's the one who sent his son to die for you so that you didn't have to be separated from him and that the brokenness you may experience from those past relationships, he's the one who redeems them. He's the one who loves you enough to do that. So I think we first have to separate the hurt and the experiences we've had um, from who God is. Because I think sometimes we just assume that it's going to be the same in Christ and it's just really not. And so something that I always come back to is realizing who God is, getting to know who he is, that we're told in Matthew that he's gentle and lowly in heart and that he's kind to us and that he's patient with us and that he is God. He is the creator of the world. So if we get to know who he is, we'll find that Old Testament, New Testament, past, present, future, like who he is, he is love. He is trustworthy. He is everything we need. He's not flawed like the people that have hurt us. And so the key is getting to know who he is in his fullness, because when we know who someone is, especially God in his perfection, like I give this example all the time, like I know who my husband is through getting to know him and through knowing his character and his heart and his actions, I'm able to trust him more. Like I trust him now because I know him on an even greater scale. We can do that with the Lord. And if you don't know who the Lord is, if you don't know that he loves you and that he's different than anyone else, then you're not going to want to give your life to him. Then you're not going to want to surrender. So it has to start with a genuine knowledge of who God is, because once you see who God is in his fullness and when the spirit reveals who he truly is to you, you will be like, wow, I want to give my life no matter how hard it is. 
Absolutely. I mean, when you see the life of Jesus, we talk around here all the time about colliding with Jesus. But when you see Jesus show up and collide with humanity, he actually didn't invite us to do anything he himself wouldn't first do. He gave up his life. He denied himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. And he gave up his life for our life. And that invitation of come pick up your cross and follow me, deny yourself is kind of this invitation to give your life away so that others may know that they are worthy of the life that Jesus offers them. So I love that you're inviting us to surrender. I love that it's not a one-time surrender, but a daily surrender. And there's so much just gems of wisdom that we learned from you today. And I know people are going to want to check out your new book and find you. So how can they connect with you? Well, thank you, Willow. I've loved this conversation. I know we could talk for hours and hours, but this was a joy. If you guys want to pick up a copy of Surrender Your Story, it's available everywhere. And now um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, all your favorite places, or you can go to surrenderyourstory.com. You can also find a free discussion guide and a free chapter if you just want to, you know, see if it's really worth it. Um, Yeah, you can go there and you can connect with me on Instagram at Miss Tara Send or um, hang out with me on my podcast called uh, Truth Talks with Tara. But um, this was so fun. Thank you again for sharing your space and your amazing friends today. It was great to hang out with you, Miss Tarasund. Well, friend, I'm so glad that you hung out with me and Tara as we chatted about her new book, and I hope that you were challenged and blessed and impacted. I know that talking about control and letting go of it can be kind of a hard topic and a hard pill to swallow, and I don't know what you're going through right now. And I don't know if you're feeling mad or bitter at God. I don't know if you're feeling super disappointed and you don't want to hope in the things that you've prayed about a million times any longer because you feel like your prayers aren't being answered. I don't know if you just got news kind of like Tara and you kind of feel like your life is over in some way, shape, or form. But what I do know is that God can handle all of it. He can handle all your feels. He can handle all your disappointment. He can handle all your doubt and all your bitterness, all of it. So as Tara was talking about casting your cares upon Jesus, I just invite you, even right now, even if you're on the treadmill at the gym or you're in your car, you can just quietly say to the Lord how you feel. Just tell him how you feel. Tell him about how you're trying to hold on to things and and you don't want to let go of control and and you want to hustle and you don't want to slow down. Tell him you're angry. Tell him you feel like he's not answering your prayers and you don't feel seen. Tell him whatever it is is on your heart. He is near to you. He cares about you. He's a good, good father. And allow him to meet you in the place you're at rather than avoiding him and ignoring him until you get to a different place. Sometimes we do that in relationships, right? We feel frustrated or angry with someone, and so we just kind of avoid them for a while until we can get to a different spot. But God can handle where you're at right now. So our hope here is that you continue to collide with Jesus and know that he is good and know that he loves you and know that he has grace and and know that he would do absolutely anything for you. So hold on to those truths this week and keep collecting. We'll catch you next week.